Hi there, and welcome to the Oompal.com podcast. I'm Oli, and for episode 34, I'm bringing you a chat with pipe maker Steve Morissette. I met Steve years ago at one of the big Chicago shows. He's a really great guy with a diverse and unique background in the arts. Listen to his background, his history, and his ideas, and then take a look at his wonderful gems that he produces over at smpipes.com. The following podcast is made possible by pipesandcigars.com. Go to pipesandcigars.com today and check out their vast selection of pipes, tobaccos, lighters, cigars, you name it. Tons of great gifts for every price range. The service you get is absolutely top-notch. Go check them out, then let me know what treasure you scored over at pipesandcigars.com. The following podcast was recorded on November 9th, 2011. So sit back, grab a pipe, and stay a while. I hope you enjoy. Okay, on the line with us we have Mr. Steve Morissette. Uh, Steve, how are you doing today, buddy? Doing well, doing well. Excellent. Tell me a little bit Why about yourself, pipe? where where you live, and um, where we can purchase your pipes. Well, I live in Nashville, Tennessee, USA. Uh, you can purchase my pipes uh, online at uh, www.smpipes.com. Um, um, and also, I am represented in the United States by... Uh, Nick Miller at Quality Briar, and also uh, Uptowns here in Nashville. Both are online, uh, qualitybriar.com, uptowns.com. And uh, so far, nobody oversees, although I've been talking to a few folks uh, in China and also Europe. But uh, I've been very, very uh, selective about who handles my my pieces, and uh, so far I've been extremely happy with uh, Nate Miller. I've been with him quite a while, and recently uh, Keith Moore uh, here in Nashville uh, <laughs> has been twisting my arm and finally got me to uh, to uh, put some pieces with him and I'll be doing that on a consistent basis now because he's a, he's a great guy. He ate both he and Mark Brisey. And, uh, so that's pretty much where you get them. But, uh, smpipes.com is probably, you know, the place to go to see them well and get a good idea of what I'm about. And you, um, you have a background in photography, is that right? Yeah, that's just kind of one of my previous careers. Uh, most recently, yes, I was a professional photographer. Uh, I started out as a commercial photographer doing mostly advertising and public relations work. In the last 10 years, uh was doing photojournalism work, which was all kinds of stuff because I was a staff photographer for um, business magazine okay. uh, up in uh, the North Virginia area. Okay. Now, uh, where were you born? Where'd you grow up? I am a fourth generation Norfolkian, Norfolk, Virginia, and uh, never lived anywhere else. Traveled around quite a bit for photography um, assignments and that sort of thing. Um, and prior to that, I was a professional musician, so I've traveled quite a bit, but never had called any place other than Norfolk home. And it felt very, uh, still feels a little odd being here in Nashville. I've been here just slightly over a year mm-hmm. and, uh, still trying to get used to the idea of not having seagulls around or water that moves with tides. <laughs> yeah. What what were some of the other big uh culture shock from moving from uh Virginia to uh Tennessee? Well, culture shock, I would say um there you know, I kind of expected uh there to be uh an element of country music and that whole culture to have 
to permeate a lot of what is here in Nashville. And it just kind of surprised me how subtle it can be and how really ubiquitous it is. And yet at the same time, um, Nashville is, is a pretty cosmopolitan city too. Uh, Vanderbilt university, they've got a, you know, an NFL football team. Uh, it's, you know, it's a long established city. It's the capital of the state. Um, so it's kind of interesting that way. Uh, there is a much larger Hispanic population here that is, I think, much more, um, well-established and, um, uh, I don't know how to put it, but, uh, solid, I guess, somehow than, than up, uh, in Norfolk, um, Norfolk has a fairly large Filipino population, um, but that's uh, it's very different than, than Hispanic, uh, being more Asian. But um, it, it's kind of cool. I, I I really kind of like the the difference. It's just um, some you know another one of those things that I wasn't used to. Mm-hmm. Um, that's as far as culture goes. Geographically, it's very different. Um, often very flat, very low. A lot of it's even below sea level. And uh, Tennessee, here in, in Nashville, everything is either up or down. Um, <laughs> I tell people, I drove around for 20 minutes when I first got here trying to find a flat spot where I could check the oil in my car. Uh, <laughs> it's... <laughs> It really is either up or down. It's uh, it's pretty funny and very different for a guy who's from the flatlands. Yeah, I'm, but uh, it's very I'm beautiful not, and it's a lot of fun to drive. It is. It's real. It is a really pretty area, and it is it is really nice to drive because, like you said, it's very hilly. There's a lot of ups and downs. You know, I'm only about four hours away. I'm near Atlanta, and um, I was really you know I hadn't been in Tennessee in years, and I had I had forgotten just how. Um, you know, hilly and, and mountainous that area is, and so you know, here I am driving up, and all of a sudden, you know, you're you're in the middle of these these really large hills or very small mountains, and and mm-hmm. you know, you've got these kind of cliff like faces that are like right next to the road. You know, it's just it's yeah. not it's not something you see every day. But so you're you're uh, you're so far so good. So you've you've you know made the trip down, and and you've you're a transplant from from Virginia, and you're doing you're doing all right, getting accustomed to the 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 local lay of the land and whatnot. Yep, yep. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I've got a 12 minute drive to work, and uh, I love to drive my BMW to work because there's uh, a series of S's on the way to work, which are a whole lot of fun to play with. Um, they go through a, a neighborhood. Uh, and even so, they're still 45 miles an hour, and I don't, uh, I don't push it through there because it is a neighborhood. I'm close to the studio. It's about 12 minutes or so, 14 minutes with with good traffic, and uh, there's a series of S's through a nice neighborhood, and uh, it's just a lot of fun to to, to take my M3 through through uh, take my M3 through there. Um. And you know I'm careful not to to push it. I don't want to risk anybody in the neighborhood, but um, but it's a whole lot more fun driving around here. And tell me, let's let's talk a little bit about your pipes and how they're graded or marked. Well, <laughs> uh, that's the thing. I don't grade them. Uh, I stamp them with my logo, which is uh, just SM. Uh, uh, it looks very much like the Smith and Wesson logo, kind of upside down. And uh, I don't grade them. Um, I kind of am. I have come up with an, what around here we've been calling an Uber grade, and I haven't stamped a pipe with that yet. Um, and I really, uh, I, I don't want to 
put that out there as to what it is and what the logo is and all that because uh, some enterprising young fellow or young lady might grab it. But <laughs> so I don't mean to be uh, giving you no info on that. But um, so when the when the time is right, there will be a Uber grade. Yeah. More set pipe. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's the kind of thing that I thought about grading, and it just looked very problematic to me as far as having various grades. A lot of people have you know, uh, different tiers of grades, and it just seemed to me that uh, as you improve as an artisan, as you uh, I mean, I've always made my living in the arts, either in music or photography or whatever. And I know that, you know, you just get better and you you refine what you do. And even if it may not be so obvious to people uh, out in the world, it is to me internally. And it's real hard for me to say, okay, this is an A, this is a B, this is a C, and then two or three years later, look at an A and go, boy, that's not even a C now. Right. So uh, I just don't want to have that hanging over my head. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a personal thing. A lot of people would say, oh, well, you know, it's no big deal, but it is to me. I I take this stuff very personally. Mm -hmm. I put a lot of time and effort into pipes, as, as most good pipe makers do. And, uh, so you spend that much time with these little pieces of wood and and whatnot, and, and, uh, you begin to build a relationship with them. And, and so I I don't want to say, okay, this is, you know, you're better than you are. Uh, It's just kind of, you know, I leave it up to the, to the people that, that want to, to have them for themselves to decide whether or not they want them and, and want to pay what I'm asking for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I do want to have some sort of a, a designation for something extra special. And, uh, like I said, I'll be rolling that out before too long, mm-hmm. but I also, um, I wanted to feel like, uh, I had the technical proficiency, um, the, the technical proficiency, the, the cultured eye, and um, just a fair amount of experience dealing with people and the business in general under my belt before I decided to do that, mm-hmm. because I feel like that that's a it's it's not a technical classification; it's a statement when you say, "Okay, this is this is." head and shoulders above the others. Right. So when you make a statement like that, I want to, you know, it it implies a certain gravitas and I want to be able to back that up with uh, a good amount of experience in not just in pipe making, but in the whole pipe culture and the whole whole artistic, uh, I don't know, the whole oeuvre of, of it so that, you know, I can say, yeah, this is this is an extra fine piece, and uh, you know that will be uh, serendipitous because I try to make everything an ultra fine piece. Um, so when things really, you know, the, the planets line up, then that will be the you know the uber grade, and it will be more. Uh, a situation of of that of serendipity and the planets lining up and and me being lucky enough to bring it all together more so than just setting out to make you know uh, an ultra pipe you know just so I can charge extra money for it or something like that it, it's just not going to be like that for me right do you collect pipes uh, I started sort of as a collector. I mean, I, I switched from cigars to pipes well, quite a few years back. And uh, <laughs> it's funny. I, I remember in the beginning thinking, you know, looking at uh, 
a Dunhill thinking, you know, who in his right mind would pay $300 for pipe. And, uh, <laughs> and now you, you can't buy my, one of my pipes for $300. Right. So, uh, I started collecting pipes, um, and towards the end when I was really, uh, getting into very, very fine pipes, uh, and kind of switching over into getting into making my own and getting into pipe making, uh, I, I thought a lot about how people make pipes. And when I decided to make pipes seriously for other people, I decided to try to get at least two pipes by every pipe maker uh, that I knew of and had heard of that was reputed to make very fine smoking pipes. And uh, with a couple of exceptions, uh, I pretty much accomplished that. And I did that sort of, well, very definitely as research and development. I wanted to see and compare these pipes and smoke them and see what it was about them that made them better smokers. And had some very interesting revelations in that process and spent a huge amount of money. Uh, most of those pipes I have sold off. Uh, to pay for uh, tooling and lathes and, and briar and that sort of thing. In fact, I tell people now that uh, the only briar I buy these days is blocks of briar that I can turn into pipes. Um, I don't think there's a... Well, there is there's one pipe maker out there that I never got a hold of, uh, Smio Satu, a Japanese pipe maker. And uh, uh, my good buddy Brian Levine and I in Las Vegas the other night had dinner together and he pulled out one of the prettiest bamboo settus that I've ever seen. And I've always wanted one of settus bamboos because he, I think he's the best there is with bamboo. And, uh, I'd love to have one just to have one. And also because you spend time with a great pipe like that and you really learn from it. Um, I've really been surprised at how much, uh, I learned from uh, from the the Reiner Barbie pipes that I that I had been smoked and the, and the, the Konovitzes and various great pipe makers. When and how did you start smoking and or collecting pipes? Wow, I'm not so good at dates and that sort of stuff. Which uh, any of my well, my sister or my ex-wife will tell you. Um, <laughs> gosh, about how old were you? Oh, um, when I started smoking pipes, I was maybe forty, uh, maybe just under forty, thirty-eight. 38 years old. Is maybe. that about when you started collecting too, or did you did you did it take a couple of years for you to start collecting? No, I started almost immediately. I'm very obsessive with stuff. When I get into something, I get way into it, and uh, I was that way with music. I was that way with photography. Um, uh, you know, I don't just become somebody who appreciates and dabbles in something. I usually end up being a professional at it, literally. Uh, which is what happened with music and what happened with photography and now with pipe making. And if I live long enough, who knows, you know, <laughs> there may be something else. But uh, um, so, yeah, almost immediately I went from, you know, eBay and trying to get decent secondhand uh, Castellas to, um, you know, before I knew it, I was spending several thousand dollars on very nice uh, high-end German and Danish and Japanese pipes and American pipe makers too. By then I had discovered people like Todd and, and uh, Jeff Grasick and, and Jody and Pullman and people like that. Speaking of um, guys like that, who were some of your mentors when you first started making pipes? Well, I'll tell you something. The, the guy that, that gave me my first piece of really solid 
take it home and put it to use and use it forever and depend on it advice was Jody Davis. Uh, he's a remarkable fellow, and he told me something about very specific about how to uh, set up a lathe to drill um, a block so that it would be very consistent and that I would hit the center of the bottom of the tobacco chamber every time. And I did exactly what he said to do, which turned out to be a very simple and logical thing, but I could have spent years figuring out. Uh, and it's, it's just floored me how well it worked and how, uh, generous and almost matter of fact, Jody was about saying here, just do this and, and you'll nail it every time. And I didn't know Jody. I, I kind of introduced myself to him at a, at a pipe show and, uh, he was just so nice. And, and that was really remarkable in the beginning of a really, really great journey. I mean, um, so Jody Davis, and then uh, I got to know um, Jeffrey Grasick uh, at the Chicago Pipe Show, um, and he was the first guy that I actually went and visited at his studio, and he he really was a big help kicking me off. And uh, Tyler Beard, uh, Tyler Lane Beard, uh, his videos on uh, Pipe Makers Forum were big help. Uh, I looked at those and I thought, well, I can do this. You know, as soon as I saw somebody else do it, I thought, well, you know, I can do that. And so that, that was remarkably helpful. And then after, uh, working a little bit with, with Jeffrey, um, uh, I would go to pipe shows and I would show, you know, I'd bring pipes to the pipe shows, but I wouldn't sell them. Uh, I would have all these <laughs> all these pipes, and people say, "Well, you saw any pipes?" And I say, "No, not this year." And that was kind of a running joke for two or three years in Chicago is that I would bring pipes, but I wouldn't have them for sale. They were always just for me to show to people and and get feedback. And uh, we'd show them to Tom Eltang and Tommy Nelson, Tommy Nelson, and Rainer Barbie, and and just whoever I could that I knew was a great pipe maker that I could get to look at my stuff. And then of course, that's how I ended up getting to know, uh, Todd Johnson and, and, uh, Brad Palman. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's just been great. Um, uh, uh, Jeffrey and, uh, Jeff Grasick, uh, Brad Palman and Todd Johnson have been the biggest, uh, hands-on help for me um, in pipe making uh, many hours uh, spent with those guys, uh, especially Todd now that I'm here with, uh, with him in Nashville, but uh, I got a, a lot of really good little kernels and nuggets from, uh, from Lena Barbie. Uh, rest in peace. He was just a wonderful fellow and, and uh, always charming and, and Honest, but uh, very sweet at the same time. And uh, I'm out down and uh, and I remember Tommy Nilsson saying to me one time when I, I had a, about four pipes that I was showing Tommy, uh, who he and I become pretty good pals over the years. And and uh, I remember him looking at some pipes and go, yeah, yeah, this is good. I like this. I like this. Yes, yes. I hate this one. And I just thought it was hysterical, but he was very kind and funny and also very honest. You know, he'd say, yeah, this is great. This is cool. And, uh, boy, this is awful. And <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's nice that, you know, um, you can trust these guys and they can trust you back to be able to listen to that, you know, but they all take their, and I'll take what they did pretty seriously as well. We, we should as much as we put our, our of ourselves into this stuff. So, um, when you ask somebody for advice or, or critique, uh, Elting always says, do you want me to be nice? Or do you want me to be honest? And of course I always said honest and he always was. 
sometimes I wasn't so happy about it, but it was ultimately a great thing. Um, so yeah, it, it, you know, people can be very, uh, pipe makers are, are, are generally really nice guys and, and ladies in, in some cases. Um, but they take it real seriously. So once you get below the the uh, the social uh, interaction phase of a conversation with them about pipes, uh, things get to be very earnest very quickly. That doesn't mean it's unpleasant or heavy, but it's it's earnest, and uh, you know people uh, there. There's a lot of integrity and and uh, passion involved. Mm-hmm. When did you carve your first pipe, and what was that like? Wow. Um, the f- first thing I did was reshaping some kind of funky uh, basket-type pipes that I had. Um, and this is well after quite a couple of years or more after I'd started collecting good pipes, I took some pipes that I never smoked anymore and reshaped them. And then a friend of mine, uh, gave me one of those shape your own, which is a pre-drilled block with a, uh, preformed stem on it, uh, for Christmas. And that pretty, actually he was the guy that got me into pipe smoking too. Um, uh, his name's Andrew Payne. He's a great, great drummer. Um, anyway, uh, Andrew gave me the, the pre-drill block and, uh, I think I used files and sandpaper and somewhere uh, back in a box, I still have that thing. And it's kind of a, it's a sitter, sort of a volcano and, uh, not too bad looking as far as the finish and all goes, but, uh, the shape is pretty crude. <laughs> But it did end up being a pretty good smoker. And how how long ago was that? Do you remember when that was? Oh, gosh, man. It had to have been at least six years ago. And when did you decide to carve professionally? I guess really saying to myself, okay, yeah, you're going to do it professionally as in full-time, uh, maybe about two years ago. Mm-hmm. I had been part-timing it for about uh, three or four years prior to that. Well, three years prior to that, I guess. Again, I'm very fuzzy on, on things like that. Uh, um, the only time I pay attention to is the time that goes by when I'm playing the drums. <laughs> you know, the metronomic time. Uh as you can understand, since I was late uh, calling you back this morning. But um, so, uh, uh, you know, as, as far as stuff like that goes, um, you know, it's funny. Uh, people often ask you, how long have you been doing this? How long have you been doing that? Um, as if that's some way to categorize a certain amount of information about somebody. And I'd, find that when it comes to artists it really doesn't work very true Um, yeah i can i can see that you know i mean because you bring your entire experience to something and uh i can remember getting into very serious almost heated debates with people when people would say uh well how on earth can you consider uh somebody like todd johnson a, uh, a master pipe maker. He hasn't paid his dues. You know, he's not, he's not 60 years old. He hasn't been doing it for 40 years. You know, he's not even 40 years old yet. And I, I said, well, you know, you can look at the, you know, how old was Mozart when he was writing his genius work? And, you know, not, I'm not saying Todd's Mozart, but you know, it, it, it really is not, uh, a kind of a valid yardstick, I don't think. Mm-hmm. You know, um, now if you're talking about how many years has somebody been in the military, yeah, that's different. You know, that's a whole different kind of thing. Um, because of, of 
how that's set up and the structure and so forth. But art isn't like that. Um, I've, I've heard uh, mental health professionals and psychiatrists say that there's no such thing as time in the unconscious. And I think that's true with, with art because great art really, I think, comes a great deal from the unconscious. So it's it's funny this uh, this conversation about time reminds me when I was in college um at Savannah College of Art and Design uh when I was a freshman I was I was um their their youngest paid lecturer um to to do a an art show for the city of Savannah and mm-hmm. some of my professors uh, weren't very happy about that because you know they couldn't get paid gigs so how is it that this freshman kid uh, you know, not only landed a show with the city, but but was a paid lecturer. That didn't make any sense. And so, um, sure. it, I can I can definitely uh, understand where you come from there. Well, I'll tell you something that I have often repeated, uh, and I feel very strongly about this. And and it's and I am, and I've heard people say this, and I always thought it was kind of corny. Or, or maybe even self-serving, but I really do think that if you're an artist at heart, uh, no matter what your chosen uh, form of expression is, if you really are an artist, you can't help it. Uh, it's kind of like being a redhead. You just are. Yeah, you you uh, it's it's something that you have to get out and what whether you choose this or that um format you, you know to get it out it, it doesn't really doesn't really matter the fact is as an artist you have stuff inside you you got to get out I can definitely understand that. Yeah, yeah. And uh and and I think not only do you have to get it out but it's going to come out anyway. Yep. And no matter what you do and um one of the things that I have told people a lot over the years is that, um, you know, people say, well, you know, where'd you go to college or whatever. I've been to three different colleges and never got a degree because I went to those colleges to learn specific things. Uh, I was an artist. I was a, um, and by artist, I mean, I was a, a musician to start with and then a photographer. And in each case, those fields, and I think in every art field, if you will, or every every area of art, it doesn't matter, you know, how many degrees you have, as you were referencing a few minutes ago. Uh, if you can do the job, then you're successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to tell people, you know, it doesn't matter whether or not I graduated from the New England Conservatory. If I can play the gig, I can play the gig. You know, if I can shoot the photograph well enough for the art director to be happy, it doesn't matter whether or not I graduated from Rochester Institute. Uh, and it's the same with pipes. If you can make a good smoking pipe that looks great, you know, it doesn't matter how many years you've been doing it, mm-hmm. really. Tell me about some I mean, of Well, I was just going to say, Lord knows there are people that have been out there a long time making pipes who apparently are never going to get uh, past a certain point with it. And there are other people who almost start beyond that point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, I've, I've seen know. that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about some of your early influences. As far as first started making pipes, was, was there, you know, were you influenced by a, a certain style more than any other? I would say that the strongest early influence I can think of is Rainer Barbie. Um, there is something about uh, the way he could extend a line. Uh, there's a particular element uh, to pipe making, a particular line that, that I really admire a lot, which is a kind of a flattened S-curve or a lengthened S-curve, if you will. Um, So if you can imagine an S laying on its side and then kind of 
pulled at each end like a piece of taffy mm-hmm. that it lengthens and 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 also uh in in different areas it, it, it you know it's it it isn't like just doing it all together it, it some areas lengthen some areas seem to shorten but uh this this kind of flattened and and or elongated and and uh S-curve is something that I noticed that Barbie was extremely good at. He would take a classic kind of shape and give it that treatment, and it would give it such beauty and elegance and uh, grace. Uh, so many of his pipes, especially the shank and stem, uh, uh, the people talk about the shank and stem transition. A lot of his pipes don't have a transition. There is just this continuous flow of form, and that really um, I've thought about it a lot over the years so that I can actually talk about it now before I just looked at it, liked it, and responded to it in a very visceral kind of way, just going, "Wow, you know I really like that as opposed to um, you know other other pipe makers work. Uh, who made pipes in a different kind of way. Um, so Rainer's stuff really influenced me a lot. I've noticed that uh, <laughs> that I, I have kept several of his pipes. Uh, uh, when I was selling off my high grades, I kept, uh, I kept all of Rainer's pipes because I loved them so much and because they were such great smokers. Uh, so... I've also noticed that when I'm smoking one or two of his pipes in particular, uh, that week I seem to be making a lot of those shapes. (laughs) There's a a particular uh, uh, quarter-bent brandy that I have that uh, I noticed that I always keep wanting to make quarter-bent brandies when I'm smoking that pipe. Uh, It's very funny. Speaking of of which, how how do you feel like your style has changed um, since you started carving? Uh, well, my style, I'm, I'll say that, that I'll, uh, my style, first let's say to me, there's a difference between style and technique, um, and, and, uh, ability to, to use the materials. Um, style to me is the way something looks. Uh, the, the impression it gives in form and function. Uh, and then there are techniques of how to do that and how to make a pipe. Uh, as far as making a pipe and so forth, uh, you know, I'm getting better all the time, every day. Uh, in the last year or so, uh, vastly better. But uh, as far as style goes, I've always gravitated towards... Um, elegant, graceful-looking things. Uh, with one caveat to that being that, for some reason, uh, pugnacious, short kind of shapes also kind of grab my attention. Um, not nose warmers per se, but just kind of uh, compact, chubby, little short things. Uh kind of if they have the right feeling of motion. I think that's one of the things that really, uh, that I've always been attracted to is something that seemed to have a a flow and a feeling of motion as opposed to a staticness that that certain kinds of panel billiards, for example, have. Um, They're almost stoic in the way that they look. I like things that seem to move. uh, so stylistically, um, I have, uh, I think I will definitely begin to appreciate, uh, subtlety, uh, more complex styling. Uh, at first I didn't get things that the Japanese, especially, uh, Tokotomi-san, um, were doing. And now I look at, uh, uh, Hiro's uh, pipes 
and took Tony's pipes and they just floor me. Uh, Goto, same way, uh, wasn't getting them. And to some extent in the beginning, um, uh, some of Todd Johnson's work. And, uh, and, and now it, it's, it's like stylistically, I, I look at those things and, and I can see uh, what these people are, are talking about. It's almost like I've learned the language. Um, that is to say that I'm fluent by any means, but I can at the very least uh, have a conversation with the shape, mm-hmm. uh, if you will. Um, I can, I can, you know, feel my way around in that language now and, and make sense out of it. Whereas before it seemed rather opaque, mm-hmm. some more sophisticated, uh, shapes and things. What would you say is the most enjoyable part of pipe making to you? Um, the most enjoyable part of pipe making is making a really great looking piece of wood, whether it's briar or the exotic woods that I use or, or ivory. Ivory is also wonderful. Uh, 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 wow. The best part the best. My favorite part is seeing the beauty of the patterns and the colors and the shapes that are in the grain of the wood, the grain of the ivory, uh, the tones of various woods and, and how they interact. Um, and I really love the last section of um, sanding and polishing. Uh, I, I wish that I had the time. I wish I could afford to give uh, every pipe that I make. Uh, to, I wish I could make them all by hand completely without using machines because I love being uh, able to spend a lot of time with them that way. Um, it's, it's not efficient and sometimes I can't accomplish what I want to do by hand, but I, I just love the way the, the, the patterns come up into fine relief when you're putting that last final sanding and then polishing, uh, on the woods and the, and the ivory and so forth. Uh, ever... That part of pipe making is what I love the best. Now, as far as the the whole thing, the business and all, the best part is the people that are involved. That's the best part of the pipe making business. That makes sense. That's nice. There's a lot of really good people in in pipe making and in in the in the in collecting and in pipe world in general. There are, and uh, it is very much about to me especially, but I, I think it's pretty obvious if you think about it. Um, we make things that people don't have to have uh, to, to live their lives and survive. You know, um, We make things that, that enhance people's lives and make them worth living, if you will, if I can get a little uh, philosophical and perhaps uh, pompous. <laughs> but um, and, and those, the people that are involved, you know, it, it's a relationship with them and uh, they with you. And that's what, for me, pipe making represents, first of all, is the relationships I have with my collectors and the new people I get to meet, the new pipe makers that I get to meet, uh, and the old pipe makers that I get to meet, uh, people like Farmer, wonderful, wonderful people. Peter Heeshan, I mean, good grief. I, I described him as uh, kind of like a, a Danish Santa Claus. He's, he, you know, he's just a wonderful guy. Um, so that part of pipe making to me is just wonderful. And the other part is being able to, to have a very intimate personal relationship with a, a fine piece of wood that uh, has come directly from nature. 
Have you ever made a pipe that was really hard to let go? Uh, yeah. Uh, there, it seems like about every third or fourth pipe uh, are pipes that I would like to hang on to. I mean, I tell people somewhat jokingly that, you know, if I go home from the show with this pipe, I won't be too unhappy because I'll be happy to smoke it myself. Uh, I usually don't uh, because it isn't practical, but uh, yes. Uh, and and there have been on occasion uh, a pipe or two that, that I really, uh, in fact, there was one that I never did that I did bring home from a show and decided I wasn't going to sell, that I was going to keep. Uh, and it was a direct, uh, I will unabashedly say it was a direct ripoff of a shape that, uh, yes, kind of it had designed for Stanwell. It was a kind of a, again, a, a sort of an elongated uh, Rhodesian slash bulldog shape. And um, I really liked it. It was the first bulldog Rhodesian type pipe I'd ever made, and it came off really well. And I still have it, and I smoke it, and I love it. And um, it makes me happy just to see it. I, I, it was one of the first times I tried a new shape that really came off well, first time out of the bag. And uh, so, yeah, yeah. And I, I think, uh, uh, you know, the, the pipe makers that, to me, really are much more art oriented or or self-expression oriented if you will uh those folks that i know that are like that they run they produce pipes that they would rather not see leave the house if you will um fairly often then there are guys that uh who are extra good pipe makers but they are able to be um much more um aloof from what they make as far as that goes. They don't get attached, uh, which is, you know, kind of a lucky thing for them, I guess. Yeah, yeah. What are, uh, speaking of pipes that you smoke, what are a few of your favorites that you smoke right now? Um, are we talking about my pipes or anybody's pipes? Um, anybody's oh. pipes as far as, like, uh, the ones that you regularly go to for your regular smokes. Well, I'll if, tell if you right. Are, if those are yours, then yeah. But um... mm -hmm. well, um, for this interview, not specifically for the interview, but now as we're talking, I'm smoking a Peter Heeshan P shape. Um, I have learned a lot from Peter Heeshan's pipes, um, and I like this little pipe because it is. Uh, I'm a clencher. It's short, it's easy to smoke, and it's a great smoking pipe. Uh, I will say that I did, and I hope Peter would forgive me, I did modify it a little bit to make the capacity a little bit larger for me so that uh, um, I could pack it and smoke the darn thing and not have to repack it again uh, anytime soon. But um, I have a couple of pipes that, for one reason or another that I've made that uh, may have had a, I don't know, a flaw or a technical problem or something like that that I smoked that uh, I like quite a bit. Um, I have a, uh, wow, it's just a, a billiard that um, accidentally fell on the floor one day and got a crack on the side of the sink and I fixed that and and stuck a, an old stem on it that, that didn't quite work for a different pipe, and it's a bit of a Frankenstein, but it looks good, and it smokes great. Um, I really like that pipe a lot. And uh, and there was one that I was smoking in Vegas, now that I think of it, that I have come to like quite a bit, too, which is a, uh, a for me, a very longish pipe, um, very thin uh shank and bit kind of a flattened ass again and then the shape of it is kind of like a, a vertical 
pecan nut, if you will, uh, with a plateau top. Um, that was uh, something that was an old pipe that I had and decided to, to modify just for myself to smoke. Um, and I would say that most of the pipes that I smoke are quarter to half bent. Uh, I don't smoke a lot of straight pipes. I have a couple old dunhills that I've kept for sentimental reasons. Um, but that's, that's about it. I don't have a lot of pipes that I smoke on my own. I still own a bunch of pipes that I look at um, and have around and smoke on occasion uh, by other pipe makers that I've kept from my old collection. Uh, but mostly they're there to kind of uh, artistically keep me company, if you will, kind of the way a, a writer might keep volumes by great writers in his library. What are some of your favorite tobaccos? Favorite tobaccos? Uh, Jeff Follador, God bless him. Uh, and I will, and then with the other hand, person. Um, <laughs> and I say that because a few years ago in Chicago, he gave me uh, a tin of. I think it was an 11-year-old tin of Elizabethan mixture, uh, a Dunhill mixture that you can't get anymore. And it, it was just phenomenal. Uh, I love that. Uh, I love the Elizabethan mixture anyway, which is uh, a blend of Virginia's and a teeny bit of Perique. And... This stuff is just phenomenal. Um, I like Penzance. I managed to pick up a couple of vintage tins of that in Las Vegas uh, at the recent show. Uh, I like um, Balkan tobaccos, specifically McClellan Super Balkan. I think it's a really good tobacco. Uh, but my daily smoke is a mixture of a couple of lame tobaccos, just just regular old, you know, find in any tobacco store lame tobaccos that is kind of my uh, go-to everyday smoke. Um, it's kind of like a, a nice old suede jacket. It's just something I can always depend on to be there and, and be good for me. And, uh, it is a, a, a mild aromatic, although some of, some of my buddies would, would argue with me about how mild the aromaticness is of it. But uh, I, I think a lot of people like to give aromatic smokers a hard time just for fun. Um, but it's it's uh, a mixture of uh, some very light, you know, it's like a little bit of Cavendish and a, and a very lightly maple top um, tobacco that I buy and mix up in a particular way that uh, a friend of mine showed me and a guy who runs a pipe shop in uh, Chesapeake, Virginia, had come up with this mixture on his own. And uh, I, I enjoy it. I, like I said, I, I keep that with me pretty much all the time. And then uh, I like the Scudo, Penzance, uh, you know, the Super Balkan, uh, or this season when I can get a hold of it. Um, and I'll tell you, uh, Mark Ryman, or excuse me, Mark Ryan, um, is starting to make some really great tobaccos. I tried a few in, uh, Las Vegas, uh, some of his round back, uh, blends are really great. And Russell Leigh from Hearth and Home is also making some really great stuff too. So, uh, I don't, uh, you know, I don't have 50 or 60 tobaccos, uh, sitting in a cellar. Uh, I'm not that kind of, not that kind of guy. Uh, when it comes to tobacco and food and drink and stuff, I pretty much stick to four or five different things and that's about it. Um, I'm all over the map when it comes to, uh, other kinds of things. Uh, but when it comes to food, drink, and tobacco, I pretty much stick
stay in a fairly narrow range because uh, they are comfort things for me a lot of times. They help enhance my uh, my thinking. You know, I know I can sit down with a particular tobacco and I know how it's going to be with a particular pipe and it allows me to not deal with that in my mind so that I can then think about whatever it is I want to think about. Mm -hmm. Speaking of uh, different things, what are some of the things you like to do when you're not making pipes? When I'm not making pipes, I like to play with my cats. Uh, I have one that's, gosh, she's got to be at least 20 years old and she's such a sweetheart. She's half deaf, can't see very well, but she still has a fair amount of spunk to her. God bless her. And then, uh, like I told you, I just recently rescued this big orange tabby, this bruiser, and he needs to be played with. He's almost like a dog. He has to be exercised. Um, but uh, as far as hobbies and things like that, um, you know, having been a musician, music is a great interest of mine. And I don't... Uh, I don't make a point of collecting or this or that, but uh, boy, I'm sure glad Pandora came along. It has just been just so wonderful. Um, uh, I'm a consumer of music in such a way that I really use it. I can't have it on all the time. Um, Guys in in the the Briar studio, Todd in particular, will will put music on and just kind of leave it on. And I end up having to put on headphones uh, that actually cancel out everything around me because when music that I really like uh, is on, when I'm hearing it, I can't concentrate because the music just kind of takes me over. And uh, kind of the way... (laughs) kind of a, an extended version of what happens to you when a really beautiful woman walks by. It's like everything else kind of goes out the window. And I'm like that with music. It's like, so I use music uh, to change my mood, to, to enhance my mood or whatever, but I, I can't just kind of have it on. Uh, so music, but... Um, and my car, I really, really love driving that M3. I have two M3s. I have a, a, an old E36 and uh, a somewhat newer E46, which is the newer, not newest version, but second newest version. And uh, I love, I love driving in a high performance way, um, which means that I end up driving uh, in an illegal way. <laughs> Uh, sometimes, but I, I never do it in such a way that when there's people around or, or you know, I, I was doing, I, I make extra special care to uh, to watch out for people. And I also um, would never do it if I had uh, poor tires or bad brakes or anything like that. It's, it's uh, Cars are, are a, a real hobby for me, uh, something that I really don't indulge in much anymore. I'm a pipe maker can't afford it but uh really uh really love automobiles a lot uh especially exotic uh, foreign cars specifically um tell me what is coming up in in your workshop that you're really excited about like what's what's up next for steve morissette is is there something that's on the bench right now that you're really excited about or is is there some wood that you just know is going to uh turn out to be something special what's going on right now yeah, I've got, you know, it's funny you say that. Uh, when you, as soon as you asked me that question, I, I immediately saw in my head, and I could see right where it is, There's, uh, there are a couple of pieces of wood sitting on my, my desk um, that have particularly nice grain. Uh, one of them has very, very straight grain, and... Uh, looks like it's going to make a very tall straight grain pipe which is somewhat unusual uh, to have a really tall straight grain pipe and the other one is just this gorgeous block of uh, wood it just has a beautiful uh, classic uh, elongated fan pattern that's 
fairly subtle. It's not real uh, contrasty in the grain, but it has very tight bird's eye. And I am, I have those on my desk and I look at them and I think about them. And I say to myself that uh, I have to keep my hands off of them, really, almost like uh, like the uh, the cake that that looks so great that you can't touch it until you know all the guests have arrived and it's time to serve dessert. Um, <laughs> because they're they're just they're so tempting, but I'm not going to put my hand to them until I know what it is that at least in the beginning, I know will we'll bring out the best that I can come to it with. Uh, that's kind of uh, not very graceful to say it that way, but I guess what I'd say is that until I know that I can see the shape in the block and know how I'm going to approach it uh, and have thought about it a great deal, and gotten pretty clear on my mind what I want to try to do with this wood, uh, I'm not going to really take it to the grinding wheel. Uh, that said, the wood may have a very different notion. Absolutely. So it sounds like you got a couple uh, stunners coming up. That's really cool that uh, you got that in, you know, uh, sitting sitting there on your bench and you can see it and you can think about it and uh sounds like you got some really cool stuff coming up. There is a uh, a blowfish that I'm working on right now that is uh, sort of unusual. It's not the usual blowfish shape. It's um, a little more vertical than most blowfish and uh, has a kind of an unusual treatment to the shank. And I'm really excited to see how that's going to be turning out. I'm real, I'm very hopeful and, and uh, confident that it's going to make a very nice pipe. And uh, How far into it are you? I'm way far into it. Um, I'm, I'm to the point now where um, I'll be finishing it up in the next day or so. Wow. And uh, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to putting the finish on. Uh, finishing pipes, um, staining them and finishing them is something that appeals to me uh, tremendously, uh, much more than I ever thought it would. Um, I have really gotten surprised about that, uh, and it's amazing the transformation that uh, you can create with, uh, and that creates itself in the process of staining and finishing. And uh, so, I'm, yeah, I'm excited about it. I really am. Very cool. Well, when you finish it, why don't you uh, send me a photo and uh, we can put it up on the website. Sure, I'd be glad to do that. Cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks a ton, Steve. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to uh, chat with us today. Well, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, you're a great fellow, and uh, I really like what you're doing. And uh, the more that we can communicate uh, things to, to folks that are into uh pipe smoking and so forth, the better, I think. Uh, you know, it's all about each of us and, and what we do together and separately with our pipes and uh, um, in this wonderful endeavor. Uh, so thank you. Yeah, absolutely. You bet. All right. Well, we'll talk to you soon, Steve. You take care, buddy. All right, man. Thanks a lot. I'll, you have a good day, all right? You too. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. And that was my chat with Steve Morissette. Check out his work at smpipes.com, where you can subscribe to his mailing list as well. Speaking of mailing lists, if you haven't already, sign up for the oompaul.com email newsletter by sending me your full name to oli1 at mac.com. This way, every time a podcast comes out, you'll get to know right away and you'll also be privy to the special contests and writing that come with every single newsletter. This podcast was made possible by PipesAndCigars.com Huge selection, expert service. One thing I love about PipesAndCigars.com is how they group tobaccos together for you like kind of like a sample pack. It's genius. Go over there and check it out. 
They make it easy, and they make the experience great, too. Go to PipesAndCigars.com today, and while you're there, do a search for Oli, O-L-I-E, and guess what? You will likely find some of my pipes. So, pick one up. You'll find them over there at a discounted price. How very cool is that? It has been so nice spending a little bit of time with you today. This is Oli with Oompal.com wishing you very good luck trying to decide which Steve Morissette pipe will be next in your collection. <laughs>